Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. My name is Blake Thomas. I'm one of the Connection and Care Pastors of Resurrection. And as we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words from the Gospel of Matthew. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in Luke 6, we hear these words, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And in Acts 20, we read these words, In all that I have given you an example, that by such work we must support the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. May God add a blessing to the hearing, reading, and understanding of the scripture. This past week, I had the privilege of getting back home to be with my family in Michigan to celebrate the life of a great man, uh, my Grandpa Roy. My Grandpa Roy lived nearly 97 years, and, and as we were preparing for this celebration, we weren't sure how many people were going to show up for his memorial, and, and we were totally floored and surprised by the amounts of people that flooded into that funeral home that, that showed up to pack the house, and not only for the celebration service, but for the, the visitation. And, and we heard stories upon stories about people who had impact or, or had insight into his life. And as they shared all these stories with, with us, his family, we, we learned things about him. But there was one theme that seemed to flow through most of the stories, and that theme was a theme of generosity. My grandpa Roy was extravagantly generous, and, and there wasn't a need that he didn't seek to meet. He, he seemed to live his life always freely giving what he had been given. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking about all of the stuff. There was, there was moments and stories where we heard people that, that said, he heard me, he saw me, he helped me, he, he played with me, he, he cared for me, he made me to feel at home or, or welcome. And he did this everywhere. He did this with his family. I, I talked to his kids, which was my mom, my, my dad, my, my aunts and uncles, and, and they described a, a father who, who did whatever he could to set aside everything just to, to stop and be with them. He would field batting practice or pitch batting practice as long as, as you asked for. He would, he would take people out on sailboats, do another lap uh, around the water ski you know, loop, and he would do whatever you asked. He would always seek to spend time and to care for and to meet the needs of the people around him. He lived this generous life. It was a, it was a free life. It was a life that allowed him to, to find joy and, and an abundance and to, and to do the same thing for everybody around him. His generosity, it defined him. And I would say it was the source of his joy. It was, it was what allowed him to have a twinkle in his eye very, uh, up until the very end of his, of his life. And, and I think this is how we're all called to be. 
We're called to be defined by, by generosity. We're called to, to, to understand that what we have isn't ours, but it's God's. And we are called by God to give it away freely. And, and as we're talking about what it means to become better, and we're talking about the habits that redefine life, one of the habits we're going to be focusing on today is, is what it means to give or what it means to, to be generous or to be defined by generosity. And so as we look at this topic, it's important first to begin with a a definition. What is generosity? What does it actually mean? How do you describe it? And generosity defined is, is this. It's a willingness to give one's time, one's talent, wisdom, and resources to bless or help another. Generosity is both the act of giving and the spirit of the action that ultimately makes a person generous. Does that make sense to you? I mean, I mean, there's instances in our life where we give something to somebody, but, but we don't do so freely. We don't do so willingly. We do so begrudgingly, or we do so uh, with strings or expectations attached to that gift. When we give begrudgingly or when we give with expectation or strings, that's not actually what it means to be generous because generous requires the right spirit. In addition to the action, we need to give freely and we need to do so joyfully. This is what it looks like to be generous. And I would contend that we were created to be generous in that way, to be truly generous. And and I believe we were created and called to be that way because that's how God is with us. We serve a a God who is abundantly generous. God creates us in his image and and calls us to bear that image to the world around us. And, And that image, a part of that image, a part of God's likeness is extravagant generosity. And you see that from the beginning of time. The God who creates all things seen and unseen, the God of the universe, he he creates everything. And moments after creating it, the earth and everything in it, he gives it to us. He entrusts it to us. He gives us the ability to have power and, and dominion, to subdue, to order, to steward all of creation. This is a gift that he gives to us. And we're called to steward it. Uh, the same way that he, he lives, the same way that, that he loves, the same way that he gives to us. We're called to steward it with generosity. This is what it looks like to bear God's image. And, and then when we fall short and time and time again, we forget that God is the giver of all of our good gifts, that the God is the giver of all the things that we have. And we begin to lose sight of that and we focus instead on ourselves. What we see in the New Testament is that God doubles down in this new kind of covenant. God uh, gives us his all in a different kind of way. And Matthew describes what this looks like in the New Testament, God's extravagant generosity that continues. For God so loved all of the world, God loved all of us, that he gave us Jesus, his, his only son, our Lord. And, and that means God literally gives us his everything. God is that generous. His, his love knows no boundaries. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It is extravagantly generous. God gives everything to us and creates us in the same way to bear that same image, to have that same disposition, to be generous in the same way. I love what the Apostle Paul talks about uh, and describes God's generosity as. He says, rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. God gave us his everything and God creates us in his same image and calls us and invites us to do the very same thing. And when we do that, what we're gonna find is the life that we're looking for. We're going to find that generosity, it defines us and it drives us. It helps us to become better reflections of, of Christ in the world around us. It becomes, helps us to become better reflections of God's image, image bearers to the world around us. It also makes the world better in the same way that we become better. 
And so we're focusing on generosity today. And what we're going to look at is how generosity makes us better. And living into this as a habit uh, allows us to find the better life. And, and one of the things I did this past week was look through all sorts of different researches and studies on, on, uh, on generosity. And I stumbled across one from Notre Dame University. And researchers there, they've been focusing on a considerable amount of time on the study of generosity And in a recent study on the science of generosity, they noted that generosity is, in its mature form, a basic personal moral orientation to life. Furthermore, in a world of moral contrast, generosity entails not only the moral good expressed, but also many vices rejected. Things like selfishness, greed, fear, meanness. Meaning that when we choose generosity, when we choose to give to others freely, what we're actually choosing away from is serving ourselves. These kinds of habits of of generosity, where we give generously toward others, we're choosing away from ourselves to care for others. Generosity as a habit, giving to others freely as a habit, it it draws us away from ourselves. It draws us toward others, toward God. And and this has crazy benefits. As the study continued, when we choose to give to others, it it reveals that we have a decreased selfish desire. But more than that, the study went on to say, if Americans want to be happier— Healthier people who live with greater purpose, suffer less depression, and enjoy more personal growth, they should learn to be more generous. Which means if you want to become better from a variety of measures, then you're going to learn what it means to engage in the daily habit of giving freely or engaging in embodying uh, extravagant generosity. Notre Dame wasn't alone in this. There was a a person, Jordan Grafman. He was a researcher at Northwestern Medical School. He wanted to study to see if he could actually demonstrate a link between generosity and and pleasure. So what he did was he scanned the brains of a group of test subjects with MRI technology. And he did so while asking them to participate in several different mental tasks, one of which was planning uh, to give money away. And what he found in this comprehensive study is that all of the subjects' pleasure and reward centers of their brains, they lit up every time they even contemplated giving. The conclusion of of this study out of Northwestern was that the human brain experiences more pleasure in giving than receiving. and, And that giving is one of the most pleasurable things we can do as human beings. And I think this is fascinating because this is also what Jesus said. The Apostle Paul, in, in today's passage from Acts, he, he recounts Jesus's words that, that go this way. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is something that Jesus assured us. And what we recognize is that something good happens to us when we are generous. It is more good, to, to, more blessed to give than to receive. Generosity is so beneficial for us. It's the antidote to to, to our selfishness and greed. It it draws us toward God. It reduces our stress. It increases our senses of of well-being. It it leads us on a pathway toward a better life, both physically and mentally and emotionally and, and spiritually. But at the same time, every time we give freely, what we have the power to do is to change the world. It not only makes our life better from a variety of measures, but it makes the world around us better as well. Our giving, it becomes a primary strategy for caring for those around us in their moments of greatest need. And my guess is you've been the recipient of a generous act before. That as you've found need or you walked through difficult circumstances that you've received some sort of generous act. Someone gave something to you freely and unconditionally that made your life better. This past week, I I talked to to a variety of people about generosity, but I invited people on social media to share their stories of impact because of something that generous that happened in their life. And I received dozens of of public responses, but then dozens more of, of private responses. And I was floored by the different acts of generosity 
that changed the lives of, of so many people that have come to know and love. A couple of the things that people talked about were, were surprising gifts or financial encouragement or well-timed hugs or the feeling of being surrounded in prayer by so many unknown and unnamed people. But then I heard some pretty amazing stories. Somebody said, I needed help getting my foster baby to daycare. And it required someone to be at my house at 6.15 in the morning so I could get to work on time. This person said a former coworker of hers and her wife offered their time to me. They got background checks, they installed the car seat and they were off several times a week for a whole year. They drove from Stillwell, Kansas to KCK in the early hours of the morning. They never complained, they never asked for money and they wouldn't accept it if I tried. They bought her car toys, they made her a blanket and and love her deeply to this day. I can never ever repay them for this gift that they had given us. Like this is a powerful gift of of generosity that, that, that came without begrudgingly came without strings, without expectation. It was freely given and it profoundly impacted this person. Another person wrote, I was homeless. I was hungry. I smelled. People crossed the street to stay away from me. But then one day somebody actually looked me in the eyes and and didn't cross the street. He didn't want anything from me. He just treated me like a human being for the first time in a really, really long time. I, I don't know who that person was, but I'll never forget it. That was over 30 years ago. And I hope I can continue passing on that generous act. Generosity, it begets generosity. It's something that leads us to want to become better. There were so many stories like these of of, of moments of generosity that that came in in that moment of dire need. And, And this is the power that generosity has. It makes life better for those around us, but it also makes us better from a variety of measures. You know, I mentioned my grandfather earlier, and while I was at home with my family, I was reminded of his mother. And his mother, which was my great-grandmother, I never knew. Her name was Ethel, and, and Ethel grew up in Detroit, and she was a really active member in, in United Methodist churches all around the uh, Detroit area. And, and, and she was a supporter. She was a, a faithful leader. She, she poured into uh, those church communities everywhere she was, and, and she knew everybody in, in the churches that she served. And there's one person in particular that she was fond of and one of the churches that she uh, you know, spent the most amount of time with. And, and that was the janitor's son of that particular church. His name was Bill. And, and, and Bill was this boy who was a part of that church. And he was always there because his dad was the janitor and his dad would always bring him to work uh, with him. And, and so my great-grandmother, Ethel, like invested in him, uh, spent time with him, mentored him, loved him. Uh, led him, you know, kind of surrounded him in, in, in the faith. And when it came time for him to actually go uh, away to college, what she did was she put together an anonymous scholarship for him so that he actually be able to go and, and study and become the best version of the person God created him to be. And so he did on account of this anonymous scholarship. He went to four years of college at Albion College and, and that only prepared him to take the next step to pursue ministry at Yale University, Yale Divinity School. And once he completed that, that stint, he became a United Methodist pastor that, that served the Metro Detroit area, never knowing who made possible his education, never knowing who made possible this ability for him to become a pastor to grow and and build Christian communities that would change uh, the metropolitan Detroit area. He didn't know uh, about that story until my great-grandmother passed. And she passed before I was born. And he found out that, that Ethel was the one who funded that scholarship. And I only found out this story 30 years after the fact, when Bill, this custodian son, was appointed to the church that I was attending in my 20s. 
And I got to know Bill as I was discerning a call into the ministry, leaving a, a career in finance and investments, desiring maybe to pursue uh, the ministry. And, and it was when I was making that decision that Bill shared with me the story of my great-grandmother. And I was thinking about that story and, and about her decision to, to be generous, to, to give freely and to do so anonymously with no strings attached. And as she did that generous act, I imagine how she felt when she saw this custodian's boy pursuing higher education, pursuing a calling into the ministry, and, and to think that one day, four generations removed, that that same boy would touch her great-grandson and mentor him into the ministry. I think I'm only here because of her generosity. I'm only here because of her willingness to give freely. And I think this is the power of generosity. When we choose to give, when we engage in this habit, it draws us closer to God and allows us to accomplish things that we don't even think to ask for or imagine. It makes our life better. I'm reminded of the, the proverb that, that says this, some give freely and yet grow all the richer. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. A generous person will be enriched. And I believe this to be true. I, I believe this is what God calls us to understand. And I think this is what God creates us for. And so as we're looking at what it means to become better, as we're engaging in these five habits that, that lead us toward this redefined life, we have to engage in this habit of, of giving, uh, of being generous. And so one of the things that I want to invite you to consider doing this week, uh, the fourth week of this series, is I want to invite you to, to consider doing that, to be generous to find reasons to, to give freely to others, to get outside of ourselves and, and to focus outwardly toward others, toward God by, by giving away what we've been given. And so I want you to, to look at your hand, your, your left hand, and I want you to close your, your fist. And as it's closed, I want you to imagine that you're holding on to all of these treasures that God has given to you, all of these things that you have, the stuff that you have. And, and then I want you to imagine giving it away by opening your hand. And then you're going to see that you have the, the five fingers or thumb and four fingers. And what I want you to strive to do every month is to find five opportunities, five reasons uh, to do something generous, to give away something that you have freely to somebody around you. And that doesn't always have to look like financial gifts. That could look like a variety of things. Maybe you could uh, call a, a family member or a longtime friend and spend time uh, with them over the phone in conversation where you can just listen and enjoy each other's company. Or maybe you can mow somebody's lawn in your neighborhood. Or maybe you can bring snacks to the workplace. Maybe you can pick up somebody's coffee at the coffee shop or pick up somebody's check at, at whatever restaurant you're visiting. I want you to find five ways, five opportunities, five reasons to be generous to do something specifically generous so that you might become better, but so that you might also make the world around you better. How might the world change if every one of us engaged in five acts of generosity? How might your workplace change or, 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 or your coffee shops or your restaurants that you frequent change? How might your relationships change if you seek to do the generous thing five times a month, if that becomes a habit? One of the things at the Leewood location that we have going on within the next few weeks is, is we are beginning rummage sale season. And rummage sale season is, is a great season, especially if you're looking to engage in the habits of generosity or, or giving things away. And so one of the things that we do through our rummage sales, we invite people to give us their stuff, all of their stuff, like their furniture, their framed art, all of their baby stuff, their strollers, their bikes, all of that kind of stuff. If you have that stuff, we're inviting you to give it away. We will take it. 
And then what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to meet a person in their moment of greatest need. You can be able to give your stuff away to somebody who needs it. And then the proceeds of the entire rummage sale, thanks to the United Women of Faith, all the proceeds will go to benefit our foster and adopt ministry children and families inside the foster care system, which means you have an opportunity and an excuse right now during this sermon series as we're seeking to become better to actually do it, to be generous, to give away what you've been given in a way that changes the world, makes you better, and helps the world to become a better reflection of the kingdom of heaven as well. And so I'm gonna encourage you to find out more information about our rummage sale. You can go to core.org slash next and you can sign up. But we wanna invite you to give your stuff away to participate and to experience firsthand what it looks like and how it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I have a feeling that we're all going to become better because of it. The Bible, it commands us to be generous toward others, but Jesus assures us that we also must love God the same way, that we must be generous toward God. This is what we read in Mark. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second commandment is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus invites us to to love God generously, maybe even before we, we love others. And so what that looks like is we have to understand generosity toward God. And as we think about our generosity and how we give back to God, what we recognize is that our generosity is best seen through worship specifically through our offering inside of worship. And if you remember, worship is a chance for us to say to God, I love you and thank you. It's a way to repay God for all that we've been given, to offer back to God tokens of thanks and praise. And in worship services in the beginning, they only consisted of the offering. There was no music, there was no liturgy, there was no prayer, there was no order or those kinds of things. There was literally offering. And we would come together and we would place our offering, a sacrifice of grain or, or some sort of thing, and we would burn it as a way of saying thank you, as a way of praising God and professing our, our faith, our love to God. We used to bring those things and sacrifice them at altars. Now we text the message COR to 77977. But either way, our offering becomes a sign of devotion, a, a picture of generosity where we thank God for all that we've been given with everything that we have, all that we have to offer. And typically we do that uh, by means of 10%. Now, when we think about our offering, we think about our offering in terms of a, of a tithe or a, or a 10% uh, you know, measure of what we've been given. We give back 10% to God and, and that's a scriptural uh, you know, account as well. And, and we find that 10% number first in Genesis. In the 14th chapter of Genesis, Abraham is there. He has just been victorious in battle. And so he meets the priest of Salem and, and then gives that priest 10% of the spoils of, of war as a way of saying thank you and glorifying God. We see that 10% number in, in 14 chapters later in Genesis, in Genesis 28, as, as Jacob does the same kind of thing. He offers uh, 10% as, as a means of, of faithfulness to God as God continued to guide him and, and lead him. It was a way of saying thank you and I love you to God. We see Moses uh, uh, you know, serving as the mouthpiece of, uh, of God in Exodus. And, and, and through the law of Moses, we get to hear a different kind of version of that 10%. This is what we read in Exodus, that the choicest of the first fruits of your ground, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Which means that the, the first fruits, the choicest of the first fruits are what we should offer to God. And, and this was a way of reflecting the king's portion or, or, or that God deserves our first and our best. This is what offering looked like. This is what it meant to be generous to God. It's, it's to give God our first and our best as our king. 
somebody worthy of our first fruits. And when we do that, when we structure generosity toward God in that kind of way, it redefines everything. And that's the aim of the, of the Christian life. It's being fully devoted to God in this kind of way by giving God our, our best and our first in every way that we can, financially, as well as in every other measure. And this is what Wendy and I, my wife and I, we, we try to do uh, as leaders in this church, but also as people seeking to become like Christ for the world around us, to become better reflections of Christ in that way. We try to, to be generous to God through our offering. We try to be generous to God through our, our worship. We try to, to live this ideal as, as a means of defining our, our life. And, and so we give the first fruits of what we have back to God as a sign of our worship. And secondly, we, we do that because we, we believe that through this church, we have an awesome opportunity to come together with people to, to bear witness to Christ's life in this world around us by, by coming together to, to meet the needs of people in their moment of dire need in the best kind of way. We, we give to this church in that kind of way to, 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 to glorify God in, in the best way that we know how. And we believe that this church does that. We, we trust this church to, to steward our gifts, our offering in a way that supports missions and ministries that, that engage people uh, far and wide in, in the best kind of way. And our annual commitment, it, it reorders everything in our life. It, it reorders our decision-making. It reorders how we, we value and, and prioritize. It reorders and reshapes everything that we do. It all happens in light of our worship or in light of putting God first with our best. And so what happens as we uh, plan for our annual gift or as we plan for our, our monthly budget, uh, what we know is that without even thinking about it, the first fruits, they, they go to God. That becomes an offering as a sign of our worship and our devotion, our, our thanksgiving and, and our love for God, who is the giver of all these first gifts. And once we set that first uh, fruit aside, what we know is that that forces us, forces us to focus on the rest of our budget. And and as we focus on what's left, it, it, it sharpens our focus. It forces us into conversations about what really matters in our life. What do we really value? What do we really prioritize? And, and we begin to have real conversations that maximize all of the gifts that we have left in a way that allows us to become our best. It focuses us on meeting our needs and, and, and meeting those moments of, of greatest import, our, our, our best strategies for our kids and our families and for the life that we long to live with them and the values and the ideals that we want to instill in their life. And what we do is we, we do that all in light of our worship, of our first fruits, of our willingness to give back to God a portion of what we've been given. And it changes everything. It's changed things for us and it makes us feel better because we know that the first fruits are glorifying God through this community in a way that we couldn't do on our own. It makes our life better and we believe that it's making the world around us uh, better as well. And what we find at the end of every month and at the end of most years is that we actually have enough to meet all of our needs. We're not meeting all of our desires and we're not meeting all of our wants. But what we know is that there's always enough to meet our needs at the end. Jesus, he said this, he said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for the measure you give will be the measure that you get back. I think that's what we've experienced through our, our rhythm of generosity is that we find that we always have enough to meet our needs, even when we're seeking to give first. And, and, and I think that's because God's economy uh, doesn't work the way that our economy works. In God's economy, what we recognize is that the more we give, the, the more we actually receive, or, or the less we give, the more we hang on to, the more our lives will be the poorer for it. 
because God creates us to give and God's economy is one that that is full of abundance and joy. It's a worry-free kind of economy where it doesn't make any sense, but, but what we recognize is that the more we give, the more benefit we're going to experience, the more fullness or wholeness or, or life we're going to experience, the more joy we're gonna receive. God's economy isn't a supply and demand kind of economy. It's an economy of abundance, not scarcity, where there's more than enough for everybody. It's a don't worry kind of economy. And that's the theme that Jesus invites his disciples to hear. Jesus talks about money and generosity more than anything else, any other topic, because he longs for us to to stop worrying about our stuff and our resources and our material goods. He wants us to focus first on God and and God's creation and how God is the giver of, of all of our gifts. And there's more than enough for all of us So Jesus, time and time again, he says, don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry, but focus first on God. Today's scripture, we read these words from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart, our, our, our devotion, our trust should be toward God, not towards our stuff. We, 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 we should be worry-free when we remember God and, and, and as God is the giver of all of our good gifts. And instead, what, what we find ourselves doing is worrying about that, forgetting that. And so we place our trust in our stuff instead of giving thanks and giving generously uh, to others and, and to God. God longs for us not to lose our hearts by worrying about our position, but by seeking to grow in love with God, by giving it all away, by doing the very same things that God first does for us. And so Jesus talks about this time and time again, more than any other topic. In Luke, he says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possession. In Matthew, he says, you cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus tells the rich young ruler to go and to sell all of his possessions and give the proceeds to benefit the poor and then come and follow me. In Luke, later, he tells all who are following him to live a joyful life of carefree, unconcerned for possessions. He says, give to everyone who begs from you. And of him who takes away your goods, do not ask them again. Jesus lays up such a strong emphasis on the spiritual dangers of of wealth that we have to pay attention to it. We have to focus on these teachings. John Wesley, he he offered uh, similar kinds of of concern and, and, and warning around the perils of wealth. He called it hindrances to holiness. And the apostle Paul, he speaks to this as well. He says, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Paul counsels the wealthy not to trust in their wealth, but in God and to share generously with everyone else. The author of Hebrews says something similar. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, for God has said, I will never fail you or forsake you. What Jesus longs for us to understand is that that God is the giver of everything and that God's economy is an economy of abundance where there's more than enough for everybody. And so don't worry, but remember who God is and remember that you were created in God's image. And because of that, you're created and called to give it all away, to be extravagantly generous the same way that God is generous for us and with us. And when we do this, we're gonna find what we're looking for. We're gonna become better. 
We're going to become better reflections and have a redefined life marked by generosity and ultimately joy. So we've been talking about this for a while and I just want to ask you, you know, how generous are you? What defines your life? Do you worry about stuff? Do you focus on yourself? Do you have the courage to to freely give without strings? Do you seek to do the generous thing? Engaging in these conversations in this habit of giving will lead us toward that life that we long for. You know, all week long, I've had all these different stories of impactful generosity that, that has made sense to people, that has changed people and, and been really, you know, pivotal in their, in their life development. And I was thinking about some of those moments in my own life. What's the most impactful generosity story that I have? And, and, uh, and I was thinking about all sorts because I've had a whole bunch of moments of, of, of generosity that I've been able to experience and, and receive. And, and there's this one story that came up, I think largely this week because of the rising temperatures. It's like summer is finally here and, and the heat is up. And, and it took me back uh, to the moment that I first moved to Kansas City. And when we moved to Kansas City, my wife and I, we did so with the hopes of launching our downtown location, Resurrection Downtown. And, and to do so, we had access to a church space uh, that gave us access to that space for seven hours a week. And so we were planning as we were launching this new location of Church of the Resurrection uh, for worship services at 6 p.m. on Sunday nights, which isn't the best time, but it was the time that we chose based on what we had been given. And so we grew with great momentum the first five months that we existed. We went from like nine to like 400 people for our very first Easter. And we we had Easter at 6 p.m. on Easter Sunday evening. And to have 400 people after starting with just a handful, it felt great. It felt like momentum was on our side and, and we were moving with great trajectory. That was the first 90 degree day that summer. And so what happened after that Easter celebration was that we began to sweat off all of our momentum. We lost people who refused to come back to sweat through another summer. And so what happened is that we were looking for a way forward. And during that time, people would come, but rarely stay. And, and there's this one person who came and actually stayed. His name was Mr. Van. And Mr. Van was a fourth grade teacher in the urban core. And, and he was trying out our church and he didn't mind the, the hot temperatures. He was from the South. And so he came two weekends in a row. And he was so impacted by the music and what was happening that on Monday in his school, he began to, to sing some of the songs in worship at school in his fourth grade classroom where he was teaching. As he was singing those songs under his breath, one of his students named Javon heard him, so much so that Javon got up from the test that he was taking, walked up to Mr. Van's desk and and asked Mr. Van, like, Mr. Van, uh, what are you singing? And and he said, well, I'm singing some songs I heard in church. And Javon then said, well, well, what church do you go to? And and Mr. Van said, well, I go to Resurrection, the downtown location. And, And Javon said, well, what's it like? Mr. Van responded very quickly, Uh, it's really hot because the average temperature in that space was like 100 degrees on the stage and probably mid-90s where he was sitting. And and so Javon said, well, why is it hot? And he said, because there's no air conditioning. It's a really old building and we're only there in the the tail end of the, the evening when it is the hottest portion of the day in that building. And he said, well, that's not okay. This fourth grader was moved with compassion. He didn't like that his his teacher was sweating through church. So he asked Mr. Van, can I make you a hand fan? So Mr. Van said, well, once you finish your test, then yes, you can go make a hand fan. And so Javon went and he finished his test and they started making a little hand fan. And, and he brought the hand fan forward to Mr. Von, uh, Mr. Van once he was done. And, and he said, can I invite the rest of the class to do the same thing so we can make fans for you when you go to church? And Mr. Van said, well, yeah, you can. 
And so the whole class made these hand fans for this church they'd never been a part of that they heard their teacher had been going for just a couple of weeks. The next weekend in worship, Mr. Van showed up and he brought Javon and he brought 75 of these these hand fans. And, And I keep them in my office still to this day, 13 years later. This was Javon's hand fan that we received that Sunday evening in worship. And and the whole congregation, which was about 75 at the time, they were using it all throughout worship service. And Javon stayed for the whole service. He and Mr. Van sat together. And when it came time for the offering in that service of worship, uh, I was floored to see Javon pull out an envelope as the offering plate passed. And he placed an offering in his envelope into the offering plate as well. At the end of the worship service, I was collecting the offering with a team of volunteers and they wanted to show me Javon's offering. And it was everything he had and and he brought it all. It was two dimes and, and three pennies. This little gift, it became the seed of our very first capital campaign. This, this little gift became the, the beginning, this little act of generosity. It became the beginning of what would be the story of resurrection downtown. It would pave the way for the purchase of our very first building that eventually paved the way for the first church in downtown Kansas City to be built in over 80 years. And it all began with this boy's generosity. First to paint and to make a hand fan, then to give away everything he's been given to God through his offering And it made our city better. It made my life better. And it certainly shaped his full of joy and generosity. And I don't think he had an idea what God would do with it. And if that's Javon's story, that's our story. How much more might God do through us and with us if we commit to offering our lives to God through our our gifts, our tithes, our offering? and then offering our lives to each other by seeking at least to do five acts of generosity a month. And my hope is that together we would do it and that by God's grace, we'd experience far more than we could ever think to ask for or imagine. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we pause and we thank you for today and for giving us everything we have, our life, our breath, our resources, our gifts, God, you give it all to us and you long for us to to give it away, to live and to love toward others the same way that you live and love toward us. And you long for us to, to offer our lives back to you so that we can embody your generosity and in so doing become better reflections of your light and, and your life for the world around us. So inspire us to engage in this habit of giving to embody your generosity and to change the world by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.